Let's turn together to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter, 1 through 36. Uh, it, again, it's, it's a, a longer passage, but, but like so much narrative, uh, it, you just have to go through a good, good big chunks of it uh, to, to get the whole story. And so Daniel 4, uh, beginning in verse 1, and reading to the end of the chapter. And this is God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed and fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that the mystery is too difficult for you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, excuse me, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. But the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence, this, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that it, its top reached the, to heaven, 
and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that they may perhaps there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was, word, word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and I still more great, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. We're on the right side of history. That's what a, a group of, of masked 
trans activists chanted last Sunday in Manchester as they uh, counter-protested against a group of women who, who were seeking to garner support for safe changing rooms and toilets for, for biological women. We're on the right side of history. That's actually the cry of pretty much every single person who has ever been on the wrong side of history. And we see that actually in our, our passage this evening, don't we? Last week we saw Nebuchadnezzar trying to declare himself on the right side of history while clearly defying the express revelation of God. He built a, a statue of, to his own glory in the desert of Babylon and, and ordered every citizen in the kingdom to bow down and worship it. This was, this was despite a dream that revealed that his and all the other powerful kingdoms that would follow him are only temporal and only exist at the pleasure of the great God who rules the whole earth. Despite this revelation, Nebuchadnezzar declares, I'm on the right side of history. And this evening we see God's response to that. Once again, in, in, this, uh, in this response, we see that in our world there's only one kingdom that matters. And there's only one sovereign king over it all. And everyone out there, or in here for that matter, claiming to, that they're in control, that they're the ones on the right side of history, no matter how powerful they might appear, no matter how in righteously indignant they may get, they're in fact on the wrong side of history until they're on God's side of history. And the beauty of this passage is that it, it encapsulates so much of the gospel in it. And we've got this great and powerful and mighty and sovereign God who's in control of all things. But what we see in, in how God deals with Nebuchadnezzar is, is actually a contrast, isn't it, between the kings of this world and our true king. How should a true king act? Well, we see that he does not repay us as our sins deserve, does he? How does he treat Nebuchadnezzar? He's so, so a man so clearly on the wrong side of history and completely unwilling to, to bend his mind or his heart to the God's revelation. How does, he, how does God deal with him? Well, well, the true king shows incredible patience and forbearance, doesn't he? The true king shows us that what it is to be gracious in the face of insult, what it means to be slow to anger, and what it means to, to, to truly be in control despite all the evidence to the contrary. There's three things for us to see tonight about our great God and King. One, that the true King reveals. Second, that the true King corrects. And third, that the true King restores. Reveals, corrects, restores. So first let's see that the, the true King reveals. Nebuchadnezzar takes over the narrative here, doesn't he? And he provides us with an autobiographical account of, of what happened to him in this, this period of his reign at the, the time of the second dream. He has uh, this, this second dream that clearly had an impact on his heart. In fact, he opens his account with, with praise to the Most High God. That is the God of Daniel and of Israel. And this is, in fact, the whole purpose of his account, isn't it? To give praise to the, the great God who's shown him mercy and grace. He opens with praise and he ends with these words of praise. But then Nebuchadnezzar recounts this, this, this second dream that he had. And we first get a sense for where Nebuchadnezzar's heart was at, at this time. The, the last time he had a dream, uh, he called in all of his magicians to, to him to, to tell him what the dream contained and what the dream 
met the interpretation, and they couldn't do it. But Daniel, Belteshazzar, as he's called here, was, was able to. Now, did the king learn anything from that? Not really. He called the same magicians in and asked them to interpret his dream. The only difference was this time he told them what the dream was. You know, he, he gave them a, a bit of extra help, didn't he? But they still weren't able to interpret the dream. Now, why didn't Nebuchadnezzar call Daniel in from the very start? Well, it's a reflection of his heart, isn't it? You know, he, he knew that, that he was in the wrong. I think deep down he probably knew uh, to some extent what the dream meant. It was, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? But he didn't want to hear the bad news. And deep down he knew that, that that's what Daniel would deliver. You know, he knew where his dream had come from. And he was in denial. He wanted to, to hide from his sin and the consequences of it. He didn't want to, to, to be judged for the things he had done. And every one of us should, should be able to relate to that, shouldn't we? You know, we're not, uh, not ones to want our deep, the deepest recesses of our hearts to be plumbed and dissected and, and well-known by, by most people, do we? Most of us don't like that. We're people like Nebuchadnezzar. We want to we build our little kingdoms and delight in our own greatness, whether that's, that's being smarter than everyone else or richer than everyone else or, or having some position of influence or, or just being on the right side of history. We want to build our little kingdoms. We don't want those things to, that, that uh, we push deep down inside of us to come to the surface. In other words, we don't want to live honestly with ourselves, and we certainly don't want to live honestly before God or with one another. But the true king, the great and sovereign and mighty God over all creation, is a God that reveals. He's a God that knows our hearts far, far better than we do. And he has spoken into our world to reveal to us the truth about who we are. He's done that for us in his word, the scriptures, but he did it particularly for Nebuchadnezzar. And in his grace, he gave the king this, this dream as well as someone in Daniel who could tell him what the dream meant. And I, I, I won't go through the whole dream in detail because it's, it's actually, again, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, Nebuchadnezzar's a, a great, great and mighty tree, uh, which appears, appears incredibly powerful in the eyes of the world. But one word from God, and it, it's easily cut down. I think the details are, are beautiful when, it, when you go back and look at them, but, but I'm not going to go through them all tonight. One, one word from God, and this, this great king can be brought low. That's, that's the point. The whole point of the dream is, is actually summarized in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, the, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. Again, the statement is the, the heart of the book of Daniel, really, isn't it? It's the whole point of it, that, that, that we are, are seeing from different angles, that, that God is the one who rules over all the earth. He rules over each of our lives, no matter how things may appear. He's actually in control. There, there should be real comfort in that for God's people, for you and I. That despite the, the seeming seemingly brokenness and, and craziness of this, this world we live in, God is actually in control of it. That he guides history. He guides the future as he has the past. There, there was a, a pretty disturbing story this week in, in the Times that was picked up by other news outlets 
about a, a girl in a sixth form. And the, the sixth form had a guest speaker from, from Stonewall, the militant LGBT plus charity that, that's pushing strongly for trans rights and doing all they can to, to put down any dissent. And this, this young girl in, in the sixth form simply asked a question of, of a speaker, just questioned whether, whether we should be or, or can dismiss biological sex the way the trans movement is attempting to. And after the, the presentation, she was, she was surrounded by about 60 of her classmates and shouted at even, even her school, which is meant to protect, protect children and challenge ideas and learning, abandoned her. I don't know whether this girl was a Christian or not. There's, there's not been any, any indication that, that she is. But the fact is that this could happen to any one of us who holds to the truth of the scriptures. That God made us male and female and he doesn't make mistakes and we can't, we can't change how he's made us at our own volition. In fact, to do so is damaging. You know, it's, it's easy to grow discouraged by, by these stories that we hear, isn't it? By the, the direction our world seems to be going in. You know, especially when we're being shouted down and told that we're on the wrong side of history. But Daniel tells us something very different, doesn't he? He doesn't say that we're, we're better or smarter or greater than anyone else. He simply says that, that we're on the right side of history when we're on God's side of history. That all the kingdoms of this world are, are his and even, even the most powerful kings are the lowliest of men in the eyes of God. He gives the kingdoms to who he wishes. And the thing about this, this revelation to, to Nebuchadnezzar is that God is incredibly gracious to the king. He's going to teach him this lesson about who is really in control of the kingdom, kingdoms of the world. That's actually incredibly gracious, even though, even though it's going to be a hard lesson to learn. And we don't, we don't see Daniel delighting in this, do we? Because he knows it's going to be, it's going to be a difficult time for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel comes in, and he's, he's a bit worried about telling the explanation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. But, but the king asks him to get on with it. You get the sense that he knows what's, what's coming and he's, he's preparing himself to hear it. And Daniel tells the king that he's going to lose the kingdom for a time. And he's, he's going to be humbled. But there will be seeds of hope as well. The, the roots of his kingdom will still be there. And there's hope of, of restoration. Daniel concludes with an admonition in verse 27. He says, Therefore, O king, let, let my counsel be acceptable, acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You know, Daniel encourages the king towards repentance, doesn't he? Remember all that, that Daniel has been through. He's, he's seen his country ransacked, and many of his people killed. He's been carried off into, into captivity. He's had his, his life threatened. He's had his friends thrown into a fiery furnace. You'd think he'd, he would be delighting in this. Rather, he's, he's imploring the king to turn and repent that he might be spared. And this is where, where Daniel really challenges our own hearts. We get angry at people who disagree with us, don't we? We get angry at people who, who would, would be abusive towards, towards us because of our faith. I, I, know, I know I do. When, you know, when I read a story like, like this girl who was getting harassed at school... I get angry. 
and I want those people to be punished. And Daniel calls us to, to share the heart of God for sinners, doesn't he? He, he calls us to, to share God's heart for sinners like, like you and I, and like King Nebuchadnezzar. If we've been forgiven much, then we should, we should love much, and we, we should love the people who God loves. And we should desire for, for them to turn from evil and do good to the glory of God the Father. And if you have people you'd love to see wiped out and judged, what if they repented? If God's grace is sufficient for you, is it, is it sufficient for, for your enemies? Is it sufficient for those people that you, you just don't like? It's a challenging question, isn't it? It's a question that, that Daniel should drive us to. You know, Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Daniel tells us to love our enemies and to call them back from their destructive works. That's the first thing that, that the true king reveals. The second thing we see this evening is that God follows up on the, the things he reveals. That he actually means what he says. That's what we see in our second point, that the true king corrects. God's incredibly patient and gracious to Nebuchadnezzar. We're, we're told a whole, a whole year passes, 12 months pass, in which king, the king could consider the words spoken to him by Daniel. He could consider this dream that he's had and remember the, the content of it. Yet where do we find him a year later? He's walking on the, the roof of his palace. This was a new palace that, that he had built uh, for, his, for his glory. You can almost see him walking in, in the hanging gardens, that looking out and surveying his, his domain. And then he says to himself in verse 30, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? What an idiot. And you've been, you've been told what's going to happen, right? If, if you don't change your heart and change your ways... You're, you're going to be judged. You're going to be in trouble. We, we've heard the revelation of God along with the king. We've seen the dream. Can you believe what you're, you're seeing and hearing as his response? This king isn't great and powerful and wise. He's, he's more like uh, bunny foo-foo, you know, hopping through the forest, scooping up the field mice and, and bopping them on the head. He's been warned not to do it, but he's stubborn in his disobedience. Will God do what he says he would do? Or, or was, it all just, was it all just a dream? Can he trust the revelation of God and the words of God's prophet? Nah, just, just look at my kingdom. I'm on the right side of history. What could possibly go wrong? Absolutely everything. Imagine the shock he's, he's in. One of the, the, he, he's standing in one of the lost seven wonders of the world. You know, he's looking on something that that, that's so great and magnificent that, that you and I will never get to, get to see it. And we can only uh, possibly begin to imagine what it was like when out of nowhere he hears a voice from heaven. And in a moment, all that he, he surveys is taken from him. You know, it's, it's gone faster than, than the crypto billionaires. You know, these guys who, who bought Bitcoin back when it, when it was weird and everyone thought it was a scam and the value skyrocketed and now it's dropped and... And all those guys are, are crashing with it. You could almost get whiplash from how quickly they've, they've turned. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get whiplash, does he? 
he just loses his mind. It's all, it's all gone. And he's out in a field living like an animal. And that's, that's an incredible fall, isn't it? <clears throat> when we lived just, uh, just west of here in, in uh, stunning Brentford, uh, during the winter months when the leaves were off the trees, you could, you could look across the river and get a nice view of Kew Palace. And Kew Palace isn't really a, a proper palace. It's, it's a stately home. And I would argue it's, it's on the, the humbler end of a, of a stately home, which, which means it's, it's still way, way nicer than, than most of our homes. But it's famous for, for being the home of, of George III when he struggled with, with madness. He didn't stay uh, tucked away in the beautiful palaces of central London or even out in the castle of, at Windsor. He was, he was stuck away in, in Kew in a palace with a view of Brentford. You know, it's a hard fall, but it was way worse for Nebuchadnezzar. This king was, was out of the palace. He was out in the fields with the beasts. His mind was turned to that of, of, of an ox, of an animal. He, he went out into the fields and he ate grass and he woke in the morning and, and when he woke up in the morning he was wet from the dew that was covering him until his hair grew long and his nails grew long. It's an, it's an astonishing fall from power. And it seems like an incredibly harsh correction, doesn't it? And the truth about God's correcting love is that it can, can often feel harsh. You know, when, when God smashes those, those idols of our hearts, those things that we think define us, we, those things that we think we can't live without, it's painful. It can feel like losing everything, can't it? riches, power, even our own mental state. God corrects, but though, because he loves. And he corre- his correction reflects in many ways the stubbornness of our own hearts and the, the depths of God's love and that he's willing to, to withhold and even remove good gifts in order to get our attention and call us back to him. What good is a kingdom or a palace or a hanging garden or a statue of gold made in our own image. If God is not our portion, if God is not our help and our strength, all these things are temporary and they pass away, but the great God of heaven is eternal and he, He removes temporary things from our lives in order to call us into the right side of history. That's His side of history. That's That's eternity. And that, in fact, is the beauty and the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what did we see Jesus do? We saw King Jesus lay aside the eternal. The Apostle Paul tells us Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on our flesh and being obedient to death on the cross. And he did it so that those of us who were low might, might be brought into the right side of history. God corrects those he loves. He's the God of correction. He corrected Nebuchadnezzar. And he corrects us in order to restore, which is what we see in our, our third point this evening, that the true king restores. I love how Nebuchadnezzar describes his restoration in verse 34. He says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. 
and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. He says his reason was, was returned to him, but I think we can say that, that he, and he probably would say this too, that, that he actually saw properly for the first time. God brought him low in order to raise him up. This didn't happen all at once, did it? He went through uh, an ordeal for a time. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't relieved all at once, but it, it did what God intended. It, it brought about proper repentance. What does Nebuchadnezzar's repentance look like? Sinclair Ferguson points out that Nebuchadnezzar's repentance was was uh, really a, a reversal, a retracing of the steps taken in his rebellion. He looks up to God, the true king. His reason, his ability to think properly is restored. And then he, he praises God. You see, repentance isn't simply being sorry for our sins. Or being sorry for where your sins have led you. Rather, it's looking to God and depending on Him as your sovereign Lord. That's what we see in Nebuchadnezzar's repentance. We see this this turning from his sin, where he where he once looked to his own glory and his own pride. He now looks to heaven, to the God who alone is worthy of worship. Where once he he allowed his sinful heart to to twist his mind, he now has God, had godly reason restored to him. He looks to, to God's word and to God's wisdom to understand the world. Or once he sought to, to claim God's worship for himself, where he told everyone in the kingdom to, to bow down before the statue of gold, he now bows before the one true God in worship. So what we see in Nebuchadnezzar is a, is a case study in, in the absolute havoc that our sin reeks in our lives you know, this ancient king actually speaks to our own hearts in a, in a profound way doesn't it like him we all desire our own worship we all desire to live for our glory we've all tried to, to rebel against God and uh, in his revealed will in the scriptures and the calling of the gospel is to, to turn to our great God through, through Christ our savior who's made, who was made low for us and has paid for our sins that, that we might enter into his glory. And we should all be able to say with, with Nebuchadnezzar in verse 37, Now I, insert your name here, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. You see, this episode from Nebuchadnezzar's life is meant to tell us as much about the true king as it does about this, this ancient king. The true king is the great king who's sovereign over all the earth. He is the king whose works are, are right and just. He's the rightful king of our hearts. He's the one that we actually long for. He's the one whose story we desire to enter. And until we find ourselves in this king and the, the great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, until we find ourselves in Him. We will be a, a people wandering this world, searching for that one thing that will, give us, that will give us meaning and purpose and identity, all the while crying out we're on the right side of history without really being sure if we, if we believe ourselves. And even if, even if we are, so what? Because where's that history going? 
See, there's only one way to be sure where history's going, and that's to enter the story, the history of our great God. And the calling of the, the gospel is, is to look to heaven, to God, our maker and our redeemer, to allow him to, to restore our senses that we might worship him and him alone. Let us pray.